Now, there are several ways to even view being here today. Uh, we can see it as the highlight of our day. Uh, we can even see it as uh, fulfilling a promise. Uh, we could see it as fulfilling even our religious obligation uh, for the week. You know, there are those who are saying, let me just go to church today and I've done my church thing for the day. Have you guys ever done that before? You know, just get a church thing done for the week, right? But what if we saw being here as part of God's plan for our lives? Um, what if there was a sense of excitement because God has gifted us this amazing opportunity to worship him freely? Um, the songs we've been singing today is very in line with, um, uh, with the sermon that I'm going to teach and what, I'm, what I like when God is moving by his spirit, we say we're a church that's led by the spirit of God, is that even if there's no dialogue with the extent of what I'm going to be singing, if we're all in tune with what God is saying, God provides exactly what we need. Amen? You guys are quiet today. But it's in these corporate moments that God invites us to um, have an experience with him. But we also have this caveat. We get a chance to not only go deeper with God on an individual level, but we also experience God with a body of believer, his church. Now, when we leave here today, I pray that we will feel inspired to be more intentional um, in demonstrating the fruit of being with Jesus, the fruit of kindness and love. We must see ourselves as people that God is calling to something greater than we could imagine. Um, but it starts with our pursuit of God, right? Pursuit, college, ministry. Our pursuit of God should move us beyond this status quo of simply fulfilling a religious obligation. And if we move beyond this mundane ways and, and we simply just say, God, what are you trying to do in my life? Then God will use us to fulfill his purpose for us. Now, today's teaching is titled, Starting Fresh. Can we say starting fresh? Starting fresh. Um, starting fresh is an opportunity to recommit ourselves uh, to valued priorities in fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Um, that's... And let me say that again in case you're taking notes. Starting fresh is an opportunity for us to recommit ourselves to valued priorities in fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Today I'm going to be uh, reading from Isaiah 43 um, because it reflects God's character and application um, to our lives. I'm going to be reading from Chapter 43, verses 14 to 25. You guys feel like reading today? Okay. Can we stand and read God's word together? Well, there should be, you know, you have the, the option to see from every which direction. And, and read thus. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send that and bring them all, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. 
I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostrich, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet king with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Thank you. You may be seated. Passages like these are often glossed over simply because it's in the Old Testament. But when we understand the context of the story, we find um, this story uh, both refreshing and important. Uh, now, has anyone in this room, if you have never experienced setback or failures in your life, can I see your hands? You've never experienced failures or setbacks. I see people looking around to see, because if you're like, if I've never experienced it, I want to see who that person is. It's always amazing. You ask these questions, and no one says, let me put my hands up. They're like, let me look around to see who's, who's putting their hands up. See, most, if not all of us, have experienced not just one, but many setbacks and failures throughout our lives. And sometimes we allow these setbacks or failures to enslave us to the point where it hinders our ability to enjoy the Christian life that God designed for us. God has his perfect plan for our lives. Now, you might say, if God has his perfect plan, why do I feel like I keep messing up? Or why does it feel like there's always something that could go wrong? I'll tell you why. Although God wants the best for us and has the best for us, Satan tempts us to abort the plan of God for our lives. He tempts us to believe that we can't live how God intended for us. But don't be fooled. Everyone's not jumping in line hoping that you would succeed in life. No. They're not saying like, yes, I really want you to succeed. And sometimes you're not convinced that you deserve to succeed in life. You know, if Satan is convincing enough, we get to a place where we can't sense God's active presence in our lives. We can't hear his voice or discern his direction, and it 
gets more complicated if we're unsure that God has even forgiven us from our last sin. I'm just kind of warming you up. Have you ever gotten to the place where you're saying, did God really forgive me for the last sin that I committed? You guys ever get to that point before? You know, you prayed and, you, and you're like, and once it's like, I believe he can do it, but I'm not sure if I'm really feeling the forgiveness right now. See, we sigh and we let our heads fall into our hands and say, oh, man, I've done it again. My frustration of the day or even the stress of the moment pushed me over the edge. So we're disappointed and we're even embarrassed that we don't have this problem under control. You know, been a Christian for so long and you believe that you've mastered this thing or better yet, you're making progress and then you're like, man, I've done it again. Be reminded that God has already made provision for our mess-ups. He's not caught off guard when we sin. If you remember before Judas betrayed Jesus, John 13, 27 tells us that Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Then Jesus said to him, whatever you do, do it quickly. God anticipates our next move, positive or negative. God anticipates it. If God is sovereign, and he is, we can't possibly mess up his plan. We're not powerful enough to, make, to, to, to mess up God's plan for our lives. God makes provision through his redemptive plan in anticipation of our sins. The way in which God wants us to react to his forgiveness is what we read in Isaiah 43. According to verse 18, the Lord says, Forget about what happened before. Do not think about the past. Instead, look at the new things I'm going to do. See, Isaiah is not encouraging us to sin, but suggesting that our season of failure can be behind us if we choose to trust God and what he wants us to do even right now. Now, here's why. God is more interested in our future than the mistakes we've made. That's what God is looking at. That's something for us to be thankful for because life is full of regrets. If you have no regrets in life, you haven't lived long enough. We have regrets about something we said or something we did, and sometimes it's something we've ate or drank. And the common phrase we make when we have regrets is, I should have never, I should have never had that last bite of cheesecake. Well, not me. I'll eat as much cheesecake as possible. I love cheesecake. Maybe you had just one too many cups of coffee. Or maybe you've just, you know, just said the wrong thing. You'll probably have regrets about something you didn't say or something you should have said. But now it's too late. Maybe you've had regrets about something that happened and it's not your fault regret that it happened anyway. So life is full of regrets. But the real question is, how well do you handle the regrettable moments in your life? How do you handle those moments? The, the regret, uh, the guilt or shame that you feel can lead to destruction or 
it can lead to repentance. So how do you handle those moments? Whenever we make mistakes, there's a difference between being stuck in the past or a move into our future. God addresses this for us in Isaiah 43, verse 18. Do not remember the former things. Now, what does that mean? How do we practically forget the former things? We first need to understand the context of the passage we read. Now, I won't do a deep uh, dive into this text, but I'll offer enough to explain what God means. Now, Isaiah is writing uh, this, you know, this approximately in 700 B.C. And again, he's reflecting the heart of God to Israel. So Isaiah is prophesying to, to the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And he's doing this about 100 years before the Babylonian Empire rose to power. The Babylonians will come into power and they'll rise up and they'll take prisoners of war. Among these prisoners is a guy by the name of Daniel. You guys have read Daniel before, right? You know Daniel, yes? The same Daniel was stuck in the lion's den. He is actually captured by the Babylonians. The prophecy suggested that the Babylonians would conquer Jerusalem, which is the capital city, of course, Judah, and they'll destroy the temple of God, and they'll take different things from, their, you know, from this plunder, and they'll go back to their homeland. So God forewarned his people, which is why Isaiah is prophesying this 100 years before it actually happens. The warning from God to his people was that you're living in idolatry, you're rebelling against me, so turn from your wicked ways. This is what Isaiah is saying. When Israel refused to obey, God sent uh, the Babylonians as a form of discipline to get Israel's attention. So the people whom God loves find themselves in captivity for the next 70 years under the Babylonian empire. But after 70 years, God will allow Israel to return to their homeland. Now, although we see this as biblical history, we're like, I hate history. Isaiah is prophesying these things. that These are all future events. So God is laying out the details to his people before it happens. You're going to rebel against me because of your idolatry. I'm going to call the Babylonians to come and take you captive for 70 years. And after those 70 years, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. In fact, God suggested that he would destroy the same Babylonians who came in to capture Israel. So we see in verse 18, and I keep replaying verse 18 because it's important for us. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. I find it interesting that God provides such detail within the prophecy, and then says, don't dwell on the past. Think about that for a moment. Imagine me saying to you, I'm going to give you this perfect gift, but I don't want you to think about it. I'm going to give you a million dollars on Christmas Day. Don't think about it. I mean, all the way through Christmas, you're thinking about, 
how many days do we have left? Think about that moment. When we were coming here, you know, people were saying, what are we moving? It seems like so far away. But God metaphorically looks into the future, sees the impending sin of Israel, and tells them, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to capture you and hold you captive for 70 years. But don't worry. After the captivity, you can return home, and I don't want you to think about the captivity. Some of us would probably say, I'm good. Um, I'm not going home. Anywhere but home. I mean, it's almost like saying, God, do you want me to really pretend like you didn't allow 70 years of captivity to say, yeah, I know you were captive for 70 years. Don't worry about it. I caused it upon you because you sinned. Now you can go home. Now I'm good. I've been sitting here for a long time. Isn't it crazy how there's a consequence for every sin, but when we experience those consequences, we get upset at others. You know what will happen if you drive 70 miles an hour up telegraph. There's no doubt that if a police sees you, it's going to pull you over. And I often, you know, tell, you know, my wife that if I was a police officer, I would just pull people over just for speeding. You know, be like, uh, you know, you're, you're just being careless. You know, uh, there, there's uh, an NFL player was driving the other day. He was going 140 miles an hour. And the excuse he gave was that his um, dog was sick. Of course, you know, in any event. But God looks beyond what they were doing, looks beyond the rise of the Babylonians, looks beyond the falls, the fall of the Babylonians, and looks to the time when he's going to offer forgiveness and restoration. Through Isaiah the prophet, God says, I will tell you in advance to forget the former things. It was their sin of idolatry that got them to trouble. But here's what God was saying to Israel, but he's also saying it to us. Regardless of our future sin, God is looking towards the forgiveness and restoration he has already provided. That's what God is looking forward to. That's God's heart for us. He's always looking ahead. He's looking to the future, to the promises of redemption. But even with these promises that God has in store for us, we're the ones who get stuck in the past, not God. Paul encourages us in Philippians 3 verses 12 to 14 and says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also did what? not reading with me, laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do is what? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I was a persecutor of the church, I had a past life that I'm not proud of, those regrettable moments. 
But he says, when I came to know Christ, my only desire was to pursue Jesus, to run the race in front of me with, you know, with this perseverance, to finish well. Paul said, I won't look back because I'm not proud of what, I've, what I used to be. I will do whatever it is that is possible to focus on the future. Your past is your past. God says to us in Isaiah 43, 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past because I'm doing a new thing. So how do we forget the former things? Well, God is not asking us to have amnesia with our past mistakes. God is asking us not to give our negative past more attention than it deserves. See, it's important for us to learn from our past to avoid repeating the mistakes. But don't allow your past to interfere with the future God has in store for you. God has a great future for us. And so many times we get stuck in the mistakes we've made. Don't give your past any weight. See, we tend to acknowledge what we could have done better, but simultaneously we spend too much time dwelling in the moments of past mistakes. So God tells us how he deals with our past when we receive forgiveness of sins. He tells us where in what we read, Isaiah 43, verse 25. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions, your sins, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God says, I remember your sins no more. Now, you might say, how is it possible for, for the omniscient God, the God who knows all things, to magically forget our sins. Being forgetful would seem inconsistent with God's character to say he can no longer remember. But what this means is that when we live within the confines of God's grace, he chooses not to hold our sins against us. That's what he's saying to us. God places the weight of our sin onto his son, so when Jesus died on the cross, he rendered our sin powerless. Can we say powerless? Yes, yeah, so, so when God sent his son and Christ died on the cross, he now took our sin, and now our sin is powerless once we ask for forgiveness. Our sin no longer has the weight it once had when we sinned against God. So when we're living in sin, when we sin against God, there's a certain weight we call, we call it guilt and the shame that we have. There's a certain weight. But when we ask God for forgiveness, we immediately feel the weight lifted and it's gone on to Jesus. So God is not saying he can never remember our sin, but he's suggesting that he doesn't hold it against us when he sees that we have chosen Jesus. And because we choose Jesus, Jesus removes the weight of our sins. Likewise, we choose Jesus as Lord of our lives. Once he's forgiven us our sins, we don't place value on our mistakes. Because the mistakes that we've made, it comes to devalue what God wants to do in our lives. And so when we receive the forgiveness, 
we no longer have to worry about the mistakes devaluing what God is doing. We render our past sins as powerless because of Jesus. Uh, there's a twofold command in verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. So first we are told not to remember the past, but we're also told not to keep on replaying our mistakes over and over in our minds. We don't have to relive our mistakes to move forward. Learning from our past is not about reliving the moment. I mean, of course, we know that we've sinned. Duh, we did it. But we don't have to keep living in the, in the past over and over and saying, oh, I remember this sin. I remember this sin. No, no, no. Have you asked God for forgiveness? We don't have to relive our mistakes. We consider everything we've done so we can have this, you know, so we can ask for forgiveness. And you think about, maybe I could have done this better. Or perhaps I could have done that thing. That situation has already occurred. What are you going to do now? You've already sinned. What are you going to do? You can choose to relive the moment or you can choose to give it over to Jesus. I was watching the World Cup, the women's soccer. Any of you guys been watching the soccer, the World Cup? Only a few soccer lovers. I was watching soccer. Oh, soccer, no, not soccer. Basketball, maybe. I just love sports in general. But I was watching the soccer. It was Spain versus Switzerland. Leia Codina of Spain, she scored an own goal in the 11th minute. You know what an own goal is? Okay. Now, bearing in mind, she scored this goal from 45 feet out. They said it was one of the best own goal in history. When she scored the goal, you could see the embarrassment and the frustration on Leah's face. The mistake had already happened. And what was even worse is that in a previous game, another player scored an own goal. So somehow Spain just loved scoring against themselves. But once this happened, you're seeing that the game she loves, you know, I'm sure she'd been playing this game for a long time. And I'm sure she was playing this game, trying to shake this feeling of disappointment. But guess what happened? In the 45th minute, Leia Kadina scored a goal against Switzerland. 34 minutes after she made the mistake, she had her moment of redemption in the same game. Now, will Leah forget that she made that mistake? Of course not. And I'm sure the sports critic won't allow her to forget either. They're going to remind her that she scored one of the greatest own goals in World Cup history. Because that's what we do as humans. We love to remind people of their mistakes. And we love to remind ourselves of the mistakes we've made. But Leah can choose to live in the moment of her redemption. She can say, yes, I made a mistake. But did you see that 34 minutes later, I scored a goal. And now our team moved on to the next round. Because God forgives us of our sins, we must learn to forgive ourselves. Here's the sad truth. 
when we receive forgiveness and say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, we're elevating ourselves or even our emotions above the sovereignty of God. In fact, what we've done is to remove ourselves from under the authority of God. It's human nature to try to fix ourselves. It might not be intentional, but that is the reality of our actions. You're saying that you are greater. You are a greater judge of your own character than God. When God says, I forgive you, we must walk in the confidence and reality of that forgiveness. Amen? In Psalm 103 and verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The more I read the Bible, the more I marvel at how God, you know, constructed his word. The more I marvel at how he inspired the writers to write his word. Because notice the intentionality of God. Now, anyone loves geography? Let's see, two hands. Why, why wouldn't we ask about anyone loves the complicated things? It's always some engineers put their hands first. <laughs> and everyone's looking for the engineers like, who did that? So all the geography lovers will appreciate how God inspired his writers for this. Now, north and south both have poles, north and south poles, right? They have, they have these distinct, distinct points. So if you travel toward the south and you continue traveling, what will happen? Eventually start going north because they have points. And the reverse is also true. If you go to the north and start, and start continue walking, you can go to the south. Go to the south and continue walking, you'll go back to the north because they have distinct points. However, if you travel east, you will always be traveling east because where the Greenwich is, it's an arbitrary. There's no fixed point east or west. So wherever you start walking, you're going to always keep going. If you start walking west and continue walking, there's no fixed point. You're going to continue walking west. If you go east, you're going to continue walking east. If you go north and keep walking, you're going to go south. So east and west will never intersect unlike north and south. Are you guys with me? So God says, when we receive forgiveness, our sins are removed in such a way that they never intersect. He uses this geographical construct to help us understand his intentionality in forgiving us of our sins. When we place our trust in Jesus, he has no desire to remind us of our sins. So he says, as far as the east is from the west, you can keep walking the sins that he's forgiven us, you will never see it again. So even when people try to remind us of our sins, our mistakes, and we've received forgiveness, you're like, wait a minute. God's words remind us in Psalm 103 that as far as the east from the west, that he, God, remembers them no more. So with this intentionality of forgiveness, he asks us to consider this same way, how do we forgive others? See, in Colossians 3.13, the Bible says to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. 
The forgiveness we offer others also helps to free us from dwelling on the past. Uh, you know, I love this reminder in Isaiah 43, verse 19. It says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. It says what? Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Uh, this, uh, this verse implies that it's possible to miss the new thing that God is doing because of the question that we always ask. It says, shall you not know it? So if you're still stuck on the old thing, stuck on what could have done better or what you should have done better, it's possible that we might miss the new thing that God is doing in our lives. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, God rains down judgment on the city because of their sin. But before the judgment, God sent an angel to lead Lot and his family away from the destruction. In verse 26, Genesis 19. But his wife, talking about Lot, looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The Hebrew um, writing indicates that she looked longingly and became a pillar of salt. Sometimes we get stuck in the past, even the bad past, and so we can't move forward. We can't perceive this new thing that God is doing in our lives because we're stuck on what we've done. But I'm here to remind us that God desires to do something new in our lives. In a moment, we're going to be having communion as the worship team come forward. God is the God of new beginnings. I want us to see today as an opportunity for us to start fresh, to recommit our ways unto God and accept the forgiveness we receive through Jesus. Now, some of you might need to ask Jesus to forgive you from your sins, while others might simply need to walk in the freedom you've already received from God. You know what you need today. Wherever you are spiritually, we can all leave this place being forgiven of our sins and being able to start fresh. As we prepare for communion, I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on the freedom that we should have in Christ because we've asked for forgiveness. It's, we're the ones that are, that's always the greatest critic of ourselves. We believe that our sin is so great that we wonder, can God really forgive me? But we see it in Psalm 103. God says, as far as the east is from the west, it doesn't matter what your sin might have been. If you ask for forgiveness, God says, as far as the east is from the west, I remember your sins no more. Even when you remember the mistakes that you've done, what you have to do is not give those mistakes any weight. You live in the freedom that God has given to you. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is your opportunity to ask Christ into your lives. And as we're coming into this moment of communion, communion is for those who 
place their trust in Jesus by faith. So if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, you can partake in communion. We practice open communion, which means that you can partake with us even if you're not a member. But the reason why we want only believers to partake of communion is because the Bible tells us that as often as we do this, we are doing this in remembrance of the finished work of Christ on the cross. We here as believers are saying, Jesus, not only do we believe you died for our sins, but we're also believing that we have forgiveness of our sins. So can we take a moment to just reflect or or receive the forgiveness of sins, receive the freedom that Christ has afforded to us. If you're having problems with doing that, just take a moment to to receive that forgiveness of sin. Then we're going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I want to just first lift up the ones who don't have a relationship with you or maybe they're on the fence of can I really uh, trust you. I pray God that you will speak to them even now so they know that you are real and that you will touch their hearts and they can receive forgiveness of sins. But I also pray God for all of us. Um, we've all sinned and come short of your glory. But because of your son God dying on the cross for our sins, because we've placed our trust in you, we believe that we can receive this freedom. But God, I pray that you help us to not just believe it, but to receive the freedom that you've afforded to us. So I pray, God, that we all just sense that, that the weight being lifted from our lives. Even if we sin against you this, in the, this morning, right now, God, we can be uh, people who receive the forgiveness of sins because we've asked you to come into our hearts. We've asked you to forgive us and we can feel that weight lifted from us, God. So I pray, God, that you'll help us to walk in the freedom that's afforded because of the finished work of the cross. We love you, God, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.